Visit Virgin Atlantic's sleek new Gatwick headquarters and you'll be greeted automatically by the great Leslie Phillips. Hello. Every time the sliding doors open, Hello. out slides Leslie with his venerable greeting. Hello. Warm, fun, harmlessly lascivious, traditional, British, an oddly effective company mantra. The reason for bottling Leslie's hello can be found at the door of any airliner in any country in the world. Hello. Hello. Hello, sir. Hello there. Hello. Operator. Hello. Hello. Hello, my darling. When you're feeling sad and blue And the job's too much for you This is what you gotta do Sing Hello, good evening and welcome Hello Hello Is it me you're looking for? Hello Hello As this aircrew and the crew of comedian singers and personalities who have helloed their way to fame and fortune can attest, hello is one of the most successful words in English and other languages. Our aircrew have been doing some sums. Um, working for 25 years as cabin crew, you're likely to say hello three quarters of a million times. But what does it mean? I just assumed it was a greeting. It's not a word I've ever looked up the meaning of. No, I don't know. I don't know what it means. No, I have to be honest, I wouldn't know. We asked dictionary compiler Jeremy Butterfield for a definition. Um, mm, Hello? It doesn't have an independent meaning from the context. The function is the meaning. Well, surely this is true of every word in the dictionaries Mr Butterfield and others compile. Without context, words are, well, not very useful at all. But hello is a word that so depends on context that it can mean almost anything you wanted to. Back to our aircrew for a demonstration. If the customer's particularly good-looking, you might say a different word as a code to your friend at the door. So, <laughs> so if you think the customer's good-looking, you might say, good morning. And if you think the customers are just OK, you might just say, hello, hello, hello. Grammatically, it's what's called an exclamation or an interjection, which means literally shouting out. So it's one of that limited number of words like hey, ho, hi, which it's very hard to define in any other way than the situation in which they happen. And if you simply want to say it's a greeting, an expression of gladness on meeting someone, well, that's fine. Leave it at that. Goodbye. Switch over to Radio 3 or practice your bassoon or mow the lawn. Hello? Good, still with us. For the greeting definition simply doesn't do the job well enough. The word, which has more in common with punctuation than with meaning, is so hungry for context that we've given it a special versatility. Jeremy Butterfield again. You can use it as a standard greeting. Hello, how are you doing? You can use it to ask if the other person is still there. Hello, hello... You can use it to express surprise. Hello, what's this brown envelope doing on my desk? You can use it to mean get real in that cutting, deflating way. I don't have a quick temper. Hello. 
So, a typical lexicographical success story, a word instantly recognised and used round the world, a brilliantly subtle, versatile English word that would standardise greeting for a century or more. Where does it come from? This is Michael Clayton, journalist, huntsman and former editor of Horse and Hound magazine. Hello. Well, I've always understood that it came from the hunting field, actually. Dear old um, William the Conqueror brought a lot of things to this country, some of them rather debatable. But one of the things he brought was discipline to the hunting field. Of course, they hunted deer in those days. The fox was considered very low. Nobody hunted the fox very much. It was just vermin. Deer was the noble beast of the chase. And the huntsman apparently said something like, T.R. Hello, when the deer was roused by the hounds. T.R. Hello is T-Y-A-H-I-L-L-A-U-T a sort of rather exultant cry as the deer ran and the rest of the pack was unleashed and put on the line to chase it. I don't know, actually, what it does mean. We consulted widely among French medievalists, none of whom could track down a meaning to these words beyond a primitive ho addressed to dogs or hounds who understood no French whatsoever. But here, from Michael Clayton, a lesson in word development involving the physical shape of England and the English speaker. You have to realise that in those days, most of England, or a great deal of England, was forest. So they'd be in a dense forest where the hounds couldn't really see the huntsman once they left him and started looking for the deer. But it's terribly important to keep in touch with them. When the huntsman was drawing earlier on for looking for, for the, uh, the quarry, which was deer in those days all the time, uh, with his hands, he called things like ho-sto, ho, very easily, very natural thing to say. And that became so-ho. English corrupted so many things, as we have does our languages absorb these other things, and it certainly did through hunting. It's terribly important in woodland, particularly, that he makes a bit more noise than he would in the open. So these calls were crucial. View hello, you've seen the quarry. And they were standardised much more by the Normans than they, that sort of thing had been by the Anglo-Saxons. Well, that is an English, further English corruption of this tear hello, view hello. And later, John Peel's view hello would famously awaken the dead. But dear Ken, Dr Jonathan Hope, reader in English at Strathclyde University, he's noted that the halloos and hoes and other Norman ejaculations were still very much in evidence in another traditionally wooded English landscape, the landscape of the plays of William Shakespeare. Halloo, hola, H-O-L-L-A. People don't greet each other by saying hola to each other. In linguistic terms, those would be exclamations... So you've got words like ho and ha, and Shakespeare's characters use it in that hunting sense, but they also use it more generally uh, as a way of attracting someone's attention. So it's never used when someone else is on stage and you're already speaking to them. It's not used as a greeting. It's used if someone's off stage and you want to get them on stage. So you shout into the wings, hola. All of these terms, it's very clear the way they're used, right the way through Shakespeare, actually. They're almost always associated with some either metaphors from hunting or very direct hunting uh, re references. I mean, so you've got to remember, the vast majority of people would have had direct experience of going out either for fun or, or just because they were hungry and they needed to catch something. And hunting with dogs, which is specifically where uh, hola seems to come from, shouting to your dogs, was something that everybody did. That certainly wasn't just a noble pastime. People, just ordinary people, would have gone out to try and catch the odd rabbit or something. Hola, which is just a, a cry, you just shouted out at someone to get their attention. But it's very quickly used as a verb. So people talk about holloing, holloing something. So Theseus talks about 
hollowing to his dogs to get them to attention. So the fact that these two words are being used as verbs, not just as, as nouns or as exclamations, tells you how kind of current they are and how general everybody understood them. This is a really nice piece from Midsummer Night's Dream, and I think it gives you an idea of how kind of integrated into society the notion of hunting is. And this is the point where Theseus is talking about his hounds and basically boasting about them and saying how fantastic they are. But it's a lovely bit of poetry. My hounds are bred out of the Spartan kind, so fluid, so sanded, and their heads are hung with ears that sweep away the morning dew. Crook-kneed and dew-lapped like Thessalian bulls, slow in pursuit but matched in mouth like bells, each under each. A cry more tunable was never hollered to, nor cheered with horn in Crete, in Sparta, nor in Thessaly. Another gorgeous speech, Viola talking to Olivia in Twelfth Night, when she's talking about what she would do if she were in love with Olivia. Halloo your name to the reverberate hills and make the babbling gossip of the air cry out, Olivia. Oh, you should not rest between the elements of air and earth, but you should pity me. And greetings in Shakespeare? The way you say hello in Shakespeare is you say how now. And people don't actually answer it. They don't really say, oh, I'm quite all right, thank you, how are you? So I think how now in Shakespeare has that kind of non-meaningful sense of just here I am, hello, there you are. But there are some that definitely do have content. How doth, how does, well met, uh, well come. These things have actual content for Shakespeare's speakers. Certainly a lot of them seem to be invitations to, OK, bring us up to date with the plot, give us some information. Of course, you can see how useful these are in a dramatic uh, presentation. What cheer, for example, that does seem to expect some kind of contentful answer. The way you address people in Shakespeare is, is very dependent on social status. You certainly can't just go around addressing everyone in the same way. You need to mark people's social status quite carefully. God does crop up quite a lot. We get things like God save you, God bless you. Although people were slightly nervous about using the name God in plays, there were various acts that were brought in at various points during Shakespeare's career trying to regulate the usage of the word God on stage. People were slightly nervous about it. They thought it was approaching blasphemy. But you do get some very kind of informal instances. Costard in uh, Love's Labour's Lost, for example, comes out with a quite extraordinary God dig you den all, which is a kind of very informal way of, of saying God give you good evening. But unfortunately, he chooses to say that to the princess of France, which is not a very good idea, and he gets the mickey taken out of him because of it. But how and when do hello or hola or halloo stop being surprise words and start being greetings? And where? Alan Koenigsberg, professor of classics at Brooklyn College, New York, has made a special study of the word and how it's changed. The oldest I could find for the word hello in North America was in a New Hampshire newspaper called The Sentinel, where one individual says, Hello, says Joe Lawton, where's Bill Perry and Ola Parsons? And that hello seems to be a combination of a call to attention and a greeting. And the date I found for that was October 5th, 1827. And then in 1833, I found a book written by none other than Davy Crockett, the famous frontiersman, said, I, good morning, sir. I feel much better since our meeting. But after I got away a piece, I said, hello, friend, and don't forget that vote. And that is spelled H-E-L-L-O, and that is uh, 1833. Dickens, in A Christmas Carol, 
has hello between Scrooge and a uh, and a youngster. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope I did. An intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prized turkey that was hanging The newly jolly Scrooge getting down with the kids and using hello in that groovy new greeting context. But on the same page, he's back using it in the old-fashioned way as a mere shout, a, a surprised exultation that he can laugh and smile and be human. <laughs> I'm quite a baby. Never mind, I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. Hello! Woo! Hello here! The telling thing about the uses of hello as a greeting in A Christmas Carol is to be found in Dickens's itinerary. A Christmas Carol was written and published in 1843. Now, what's interesting is that it was only the year before, 1842, that Dickens made his first trip to the United States. So the question is, is this something that Dickens is picking up in America? So, hello may be a grey squirrel of a usage, re-imported by Charles Dickens from the USA and set loose into the popular lingua culture. If you choose to allow this metaphor, then the red squirrel, the common or woodland native English colloquial greeting, was something we have already mentioned in Shakespeare. What cheer! Wordwatcher Gary Martin has traced this back to the York Mysteries and the 14th century. In current language, it would be equivalent to how you're feeling, a response appropriate to that in our current language. In the medieval language, it would be, you know, I cheer well or I am cheered. So cheer then had the meaning disposition. And what cheer enjoyed a huge 700-year theatrical success from the 14th century onwards. And perhaps we'd all have been saying it still, but for other developments in popular culture. In the music hall, what cheer morphed into something very urban-sounding. Watcher. Lost a week down our alley come Word watcher, Gary Martin. The association with Watcher with London came about via a character called Albert Chevalier who was a well-known Victorian, very well-known at the time, had lots of songs that we still recognise as sort of Cockney songs, and they knocked him in the Old Kent Road song, which obviously has the line Watcher in it, and he, in fact, called that song Watcher. It was written by him and made popular by him. So we now get the pronunciation watcher that is commonplace and sounds very London southeast directly from that song. Prior to that, people would still have said watcher, and watcher wasn't a single word at all. I watcher, also known as knocked him in the old Kent Road. Have a banana. In fact, what cheer was still in common use in the northeast of England till at least the 1950s. But in the late 19th century, two popular technologies, whose histories were more entwined than many people may realise, suddenly intensified the race to find a new universal greeting. Two technologies pioneered by rival inventors. Professor Alan Koenigsberg. Edison had always been extremely annoyed that he, Edison, didn't invent the uh, telephone. And Bell was always extremely annoyed that he, Bell, didn't invent the phonograph. 
They were invented uh, practically within months of each other. In 1876, Bell was uh, given credit for inventing the first telephone. But people don't realize, maybe even today, that there's both a transmitting element of the telephone and a receiving element. Western Union hired Edison specifically to develop a superior transmitter, and they did. But what was the first word nervous new users were encouraged to transmit on this startling invention? Bell famously proposed that the standard telephonic greeting should be Ahoy! bringing with it the atmosphere of shipboard speaking tubes and distant shouting communicants. Professor Alan Koenigsberg, during his researches into telephone history, tracked down written evidence of Edison marking his territory with a different idea. A note to a colleague suggesting their transmitter would be loud enough not to need a warning bell. A shout would suffice. I do not think we shall need a call bell, as hello can be heard 10 to 20 feet away. What do you think? So, written proof of the way hello was to cement itself on both sides of the Atlantic because of the telephone and the rivalry between Edison and Bell. George Bernard Shaw was employed as an operator in London, and he even made a comment about the uh, Edison workers where he said they adored him as the greatest man of all times in every possible department of science, art, and philosophy, and execrated Mr. Graham Bell, the inventor of the rival telephone, as his satanic adversary. Since many of the telephone exchanges that were set up in Europe were set up by Edison's representatives, his handbooks stipulated that the operator would say, hello, what is wanted? Bell's insistence that the speakers use the phrase hoy, ahoy, never caught on at all. By 1880, the Bell interests had decided to hold their first national telephone convention. And a lot of the people attending were the male operators. The uh, head of the convention greeted everybody on the first day, and he said, I can't make a long speech. He said, but the best speech I can make is simply to refer to the badges that all of you are wearing today. Hello! exclamation point. I found the minutes of the actual meeting, and then in square brackets it said everybody applauded. So there really was a sense of triumph that when they heard the word hello, and they also looked at the badges spelled the same way, there was a sense that one had teased the gods. The word hello was to tease the gods again, not only as a result of its first four diabolical letters, but because of who was employed to say that word. I'm talking about Mrs Emma Nutt, who in 1872 became the world's first female telephone operator. Nobody wanted to use this hot new technology for a one-to-one -one with George Bernard Shaw or the like. Women, subservient, attractive, delightfully invisible and, of course, cheap, would make the telephone additionally hello-worthy. And while Edison went on to invent the Hello Wheel, the world's first telephone answering machine, which didn't catch on, women added the most important allure to the H-word. The telephone was also a gift to songwriters. Popular historian Tony Ogard. We're talking about the Victorian age. Somehow, as in the music hall, sexual innuendo got through in one way or another. And one nice thing about the telephone and why it's nice to say hello is that you're usually talking to a female operator. 
And uh, that goes on today with the sex lines. You know, you're talking to a woman who you can imagine, but uh, she can be telling you all sorts of interesting things about herself. But, you know, it's a remote, uh, non-involving experience. You've got a song round about 1906 called, in fact, it's a different girl again. Hello, hello, hello. And I suspect that's uh, about not being able to get through to the uh, operator you had before on the telephone. Hello, hello, hello. In other words, you've actually been talking to two female operators. Uh, but you're a bit puzzled because you rather fancied the first one. So, hello was gathering its extra special charm. Hello meant surprise, delight and a rather different sort of predator and prey to the one envisaged by William the Conqueror. Here was a word that was worth repeating. Hello, hello, who's your lady friend? Send my flagman. She my I think it, it works because, as I, I suspect, you know, there are two hellos. It's not just one hello. He's not just saying, hello, Fred. He's saying, hello, hello, who's your lady friend? It's about a chap who was rather friendly with the ladies and had quite an exciting life. And then he gets married and he's strolling along the promenade at Margate with his new wife. And a bloke comes up to him, a friend, and says, hello. And hello, and in a way, this is your two senses of hello. I suspect he first of all says hello, and then he says, hello, who's your lady friend? In a rather sort of Leslie Phillips voice, I imagine. And adds on, that wasn't the girl you were with in Brighton. Harry Fragson wrote, hello, hello, who's your lady friend, in 1913, the year in which he was violently killed. He was the son of an English mother and a, a Belgian father. They were living together and the father, I think, was afraid that Harry was going to put him into a home and so it got rather unstable and also rather depressed. And one night when Harry Fragson came home about nine o'clock in the evening, his father uh, had a gun in his pocket, pulled it out, intending to commit suicide, instead of which he aimed it at Harry Fragson and shot Harry Fragson dead. Now, if only fate had decreed that three bewhiskered bobbies arriving at the scene of the fatal Fragson family fracas were heard to declare, but no. Sadly, the murder took place in Paris and was attended to by the gendarmerie. All the same, as we proceed towards Letsby Avenue and an obvious, if not clichéd, popular usage of our word, the early French force, or the way it was perceived in Britain, assumes some relevance. People looked across to France and saw the French police as being great enemies of the public, as it were. So it was a great sort of debate about liberty and freedom. So it was by no means certain that police officers were going to be supported by the public. In the early days of the Metropolitan Police, the, the great public resistance to the idea of a uniformed police. This is retired Police Chief Superintendent Alan Moss, police historian and custodian of historybytheyard.co.uk, a site devoted to tales of policing's past. If you look at the original instructions to the Metropolitan Police Officer. The original instruction book in 1829 says about constables, 
he, and they were all men, of course, in those days, he must remember that there is no qualification more indispensable to a police officer than a perfect command of temper, never suffering himself to be moved in the slightest degree by any language or threats that may be used, if he do his duty in a quiet and determined manner, such conduct will probably induce well-disposed bystanders to assist him should he require it. So there was a great emphasis on police officers behaving impeccably in order to keep public uh, approval and the consent for being policed in a non-violent, non-armed way. So you get the impression that the police officer has proceeded to this scene of a dispute or possibly a fight at a steady pace so that when he arrives, he's not out of breath. He's um, got enough energy left to take command of the situation should physical restraint be necessary. And meanwhile, the combatants are wearing themselves out punching each other rather than the police. And in those few seconds, he has to size up the situation, find out what is going on, and take advantage of that pregnant pause when they realise that the police officer has arrived, but nobody knows quite what to say. Hello, hello, hello. What's going on here, then? Now then, now then. Now it's become such a catchphrase and such a stereotype, you would have a burst of laughter. So you would, ha I think you would only ever use it as a police officer if it was a situation where you know that people would be uh, dissolving into laughter anyway. In fact, hello, 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 may have always been meant to parody police officers' attempts at British unforced friendliness. Agatha Christie uses it thus in her 1942 comedy mystery The Body in the Library, and Eric Partridge's Dictionary of Catchphrases records its use at about the same time in a joke. <clears throat> a police officer returns home unexpectedly to find his wife in bed with three men. Hello, hello, hello. What's going on here, then? He says calmly, and his wife bursts into tears. Darling, why didn't you say hello to me? Hello, Captain Fry speaking. We hope you've enjoyed this flight of fancy. We know you have a choice of greeting words, and so we thank you for using the word hello and hope you continue to use it and not hi or what's up or hey. And now it's time to stow your tables, fasten your seatbelts, stop thinking about Leslie Phillips, Thomas Edison, murdered musical stars, Shakespearean woods, or triply cuckolded policemen. Thank you. Cabin crew, prepare for landing. Fry's English Delight was presented by Stephen Fry. The readers were Toby Longworth and Carolyn Pickles, and the producer was Nick Baker. It was a testbed production for BBC Radio 4. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Cheerio. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, then. Bye. Bye now. <laughs>